We need to operate at full capacity in line with the orders of our Commander-in-Chief, who is God Himself, and the leader of the host of Heaven's armies. Each God-fearing, Jesus-following, life-giving local church is like an outpost for the Kingdom of God. And we need to be strong and healthy from within to be effective when we go out on the offensive to take ground for the Kingdom. We also need to be strong in our defense so that we are not overtaken. When we love each other well with agape, unconditional love of the Father, we will not be offended by anyone. Agape love cannot take offense because offense happens when you have an expectation that someone will say everything that I want to hear. And when your flesh is not completely dead, that's when you take offense. We will not be offended by anyone. We will make sure everyone has enough to eat, a place to stay, clothes to wear. And we will make sure that everyone in our midst is looked after spiritually and is constantly growing. That is what our church should be. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We're going to talk today a, a message called The Household of Faith, but we are starting a new series called Helping Others. And those of you who have been with us for a while will know that our main, our main um, values, this is the fourth one. Encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. Same is what? Help people to encounter God. Help people to align with His purposes. Help people to reign in life so that they can do the same. Okay, I hope that makes sense. And then we're going to talk today about the household of faith. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. How many of you remembers, if I say, who was your favorite teacher at school? You got a Someone immediately in mind. Who was your favorite teacher? Boom. There's that picture. I want you to think of that teacher. The favorite one that stood out. Someone that made a huge impact on your life. Wherever it may have been. Primary school or high school or maybe even at some tertiary place. You was, this person just inspired you. Um, it's the one when you think of her or him, you smile. And you have a general sense of gratefulness. Because... Let's face it, we had many teachers in our, in our lives, but you don't remember all of them, right? Well, you typically will remember the one that made you feel great, and you'll typically re remember the ones who've made you feel really bad. The really bad teachers we remember, and the really good ones. Yeah, you agree? Okay. And I think you would also agree that in the class of the teacher that was your favorite, you did really well. Maybe even better than you normally would have done in that subject. And in the teacher that broke you down, made you feel bad, you probably had a hard time doing well in that subject. All right. Now, in my case, the teacher that comes to mind is Jeffrey Stark. Teacher Stark. Yeah, the good one. I thought that was obvious. In my case, the good teacher, my favorite teacher that comes to mind, is Jeffrey Stark. Teacher Stark from uh, Paul Roast Gymnasium. And uh, if you guys didn't know that I'm from Porus, it's just because I haven't told you yet. I'm, I was in Porus. She taught maths, and 
I really, really, really suck at maths. It is not one of my strengths. It, it was not, and it still isn't really. I have prayed. I have prayed for a miracle because I know God can do anything, and that he's able to help me with maths, but he hasn't. He hasn't helped me with maths. Yes. Not yet. Thank you, Leon. Thank you for your faith. <laughs> but, you know, I, I can't be good at everything because then, you know, I would just struggle to stay humble. I'm kidding. Um, teacher Stark stands out above all the other teachers of my whole life. Why? First of all, she was passionate about what she was teaching. She loved the subject that she was teaching. Secondly, she loved the children. Sorry, I actually did that wrong. The first one was that she loves teaching. She's in her calling. She was operating in what she was made for. She was operating in her calling. Secondly, she loved the children that she taught. She definitely did not like us all the time, especially in Paul Ruiz with a bunch of boys, but she loved the children. And you could feel it. You could sense it. She cares. She really cares. And thirdly was the one I accidentally said first. Thirdly was she knew her subject so well. And she stayed on top of it. And if she couldn't answer a question, she would find out and answer the question. And then fourthly and most importantly, she stood out because if we were in her class first period, she would pray and read scripture. And if we were in the last class with her, she would end the day with scripture and prayer. And one of the things she taught us often was that life is like a rowboat. You have two oars. The one is pray and the one is work. If you just use the one, you will just go around and around in circles. You have to pray and work. That stuck with me and it, it meant a lot to me. And um, just to prove how, how good she is, I started out matric and my first exam I had was on a 48 for maths. And by the end of the year, I was on a 68 for maths. That is, that is a true modern-day miracle. <laughs> now, I want you to keep these principles of a great teacher. Just keep it in mind. And those things that stu- stood out for you and your teacher, just keep it in mind as we, as we go into these scriptures. So our new series, as I said, is called um, Helping Others. And our, our main series scripture comes from Matthew 18, uh, 28, from 18 to 20. You'll know this. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This is known as the what commission? Great commission. Is it known as the great suggestion? No, the great commission. Jesus gave his followers a mission. He said, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them, and then he ended off with a promise, I will always be with you. This is very, very important. Okay. Now with that in mind, and I think about a teacher, I want you to imagine that you are now someone who don't know Jesus. You've never heard of him. You grew up in an atheistic home or some other religion. Maybe some of you are sitting here and that's exactly where you are. You don't know Jesus. I'm very glad you are here. But I want you to take a moment and think. If you don't know who he is, what he did, and why he did it, 
Why would you consider following his teachings if you've never heard of him? Now, I want you to imagine someone, some stranger comes up to you. You are now the lucky target of an evangelist. And this person has a book called the Bible. The stranger seems to just be going through some motions. He's been told by someone to do this. Comes up to you and tries to almost sell you Jesus. And you feel like you're trapped in a very mark ad. Or someone is trying to get you into Amway. Like, that's the feeling you're getting from this encounter. They look, and you also get the sense that they're kind of looking down on you. Like they, they are better than you are. That's the sense you're getting. So that's the one scenario. Now, on the other scenario, I want you to imagine you are that same person. You don't know Jesus. But someone approaches you the same way that teacher Stark approached teaching maths. You can see this person coming up to you is visibly passionate and excited about what they want to share with you. You can sense just from the interaction that they really love you and they care for you even though they don't know you. And they start sharing this amazing story of a man called Jesus and how he changed that person's life. Why he came and how he had you on his mind. And then as you ask questions, that stranger is able to answer your questions with wisdom. Wouldn't you want to keep hearing? Wouldn't you go where they invite you? Third scenario. I want you to imagine you're in the church, the household of faith. In other words, you're born again, you're part of the local church. The same thing will move you to grow and mature as a believer. When you have a pastor and other leaders who are passionate about Jesus, who love you well, and who wants to see you do better. Amen? So if, if you're an unbeliever, if you are a believer in the church, the same principle holds that we want to be taught by people that are passionate, that loves us well. Amen? Now, I want you to imagine that you are the stranger who is talking to someone who don't know Jesus. Just put yourself in the evangelist's shoes. You are now approaching someone and you want to share Jesus with them. Will your relationship with Jesus, your genuine love for the lost, and your knowledge of the Word connect with that person and draw them nearer, nearer to Jesus? Will it do that? It's an important question for all of us to ask ourselves. And now again, imagine you are in the local church, surrounded by others. The question I have for each and every one of us, am I visibly in love with Jesus? In other words, is my face showing that I love Jesus? I'm sure all of you have seen people who say they are Christians, but they look like they hate life right now. <laughs> we, we need to be operating in a level of joy. I remember long ago, some of you may remember this, there was this ad on TV. <laughs> they were advertising the ice capades. And the voiceover artist was saying, it's a celebration. It's a jubilation. <laughs> it's like, who paid you for this ad? <laughs> and the images are 
people flying through the air and doing these amazing tricks and the voiceover was like, it's a jubilation. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. <laughs> if you talk like that, we can't say, I have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And now you go, but that's my personality. That is why we are born again. I know personalities are there and they're important. I'm not saying, but if the passion of Jesus is in you, it should show in some way. In our new series, we're going to look at how we can help others to encounter God. And for some, it's going to be they've never encountered Him before. And we need to help them encounter God for the first time. We need to help them align with His purposes for their lives. And we need to help them reign in life. And for some of us, it'll be helping people who are already here to encounter Him again. To align further with His purposes. To reign in life even more. That is why we are here. We are going to start with a message called the household of faith. Because this is the place where we learn. Where we mature. Where we practice the great commission. If we can't love our own people well, how can we effectively love other people that are not of the household of faith? Amen? Would you agree with that? If we can't disciple those we know, we will struggle to disciple others. And if we don't know what baptism is for and what Jesus taught, we cannot fulfill the Great Commission. Because He told us, go, baptize, teach. If you've got no knowledge of baptism, and you have no knowledge of what Jesus taught, are you going to be effective or not? Not, right? And at the same time, it's not to say that we only remain in this holy huddle until we are all perfect for evangelism. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it, it, it happens together. But we should always have a heart for the lost. And here in the household of faith, we can try. We can fail. We can learn. We can grow. This is a safe space where we can learn how to do this well and where we can always keep growing, where we can deepen our relationship with God and where He will equip us and we will equip each other for the work of the ministry. Amen? Amen. Are you excited about that? <laughs> our main message scripture is from Galatians 6.10. It says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul is placing an emphasis, he's placing a, a priority on us doing good to one another. But we need to see this in context. Because what is good to you may not be good to you. And we may have different ideas of what this actually means and how it looks. So... We're going to have to look at the context. And, um, and then I'm going to read other scriptures. As well. I'm going to start off with scriptures from 1 John and John, and then we're going to get back into Galatians. All right, so we, let's kick it off in 1 John 4. Both of these following, or all three of these following verses is going to talk about the importance of us as believers loving each other well. All right, so let's get into that. 1 John 4, 
you can get your Bibles open or you can go to the, the app with the event or follow on the screen just as you wish. But let us focus on the Word of God. John is saying, Beloved, let us love one another. For love, that love in the Greek is agape or agape. It says, for love, agape love, which is unconditional, serving, and sacrificial, that kind of love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, if that offends you, then you're offended by the Bible. <laughs> but this is how straightforward it is. You cannot love agape love if you don't know God. That is what he's saying. You can't love unconditionally, sacrificially, and, and with a servant heart. In this, the love of God is made manifest. Manifest means it was shown toward us that God... So, He's now defining God's kind of love. He is saying that God's kind of love that we need to love each other with is this kind of love. That he gave his only, he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is a fancy word for standing in the gap for us, taking our place on the cross, doing what needed to be done before we loved Him, before we even knew Him. Beloved, if God loved us, so loved us, in other words, if God loved us this way, by sacrificing His Son, we also ought to love one another. In other words, we need to love each other the same way, sacrificially unconditionally most people think love is transactional i will give if they give i will love if they love the moment i feel they don't love i'm going to stop love that's not love it's not god's love john 13 34 to 35 this is jesus speaking to his disciples literally saying i give you a new commandment he says a new commandment i give to you that you Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, the way you love each other, the way I loved you, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. I mean, he can't repeat this more. Well, he can, but he's repeating it a few times there to his disciples. How do we know? That people are part of the Christian faith by how they love each other. So on the other side of that coin, if we see people don't love one another, we will not think that they are disciples of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And one of my favorite passages in the Bible is John 17. It's where Jesus prays passionately to the Father about us, about believers. Listen to this in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's why I say it's for us. He's praying for us, those who will believe, that they may be one. 
As listen to this, you father and I are one. As you, as uh, sorry, as you father are in me and I in you. That is very intimate language. Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in Jesus. And he's saying, let them, my followers, my disciples, be one in this way. That they also may be one in us. That the world, listen to this, that means there's a reason for, the world may believe that you sent me. I'm going to get back to that a little later. All right, let us jump into the context of our main verse. This is going to be a very long stretch of scripture but I want you to see the context from which Paul is saying that we should do good to all, especially the household of faith. Listen to this from Galatians 5. Are you ready? This is going to be like a scripture marathon. Are you ready for the marathon? Are you ready for the word of God to minister to you? All right. Galatians 5, 16 20 to 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication. The Greek word for fornication is porneia. Where do we get that word? It means sexual activity before marriage. Uncleanness comes from the word akatarsia, which means uh, catharsis is when you have a revelation, when you get things into place. Akatarsia is when it's away from that. It's unclean. It's a mess. And it also refers to sexual impurity. Lewdness, which is crude or vulgar sexual, uh, or being crude or vulgar in a sexual way. All four thi- first things has to do with sexual immorality. Idolatry, which is worshipping anything else than God. Sorcery, the other word is witchcraft. The word in the Greek is pharmakia, where we get our word pharmacy from. This is about medicines, drugs, spells, enchantments. Then hatred, contentions, that is when we are divided, no unity. Jealousies, when we are jealous of one another. Outbursts of wrath or rage. Selfish ambitions, when we are doing everything for ourselves. Dissensions, once again, divisions. Heresies, when we are strongly against sound doctrine of the Bible. Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, which is a reference to drunken parties, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also tell you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we had the works of the flesh that are being practiced, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it says, but, it's a very important but, the fruit of the Spirit. So we had the works of the flesh. Now the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which is another word for patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control against such there is no law and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit if I say I am a Christian let me walk like a Christian let us in other words not become conceited which means excessively proud 
provoking, which is to deliberate, try to get a negative reaction out of someone else, or another, envying, envying one another. I want you to notice, I'm going to get back to this, but I want you to notice how he's talking about the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit, and immediately goes into how we treat each other. But it goes on into Galatians 6, 1 to 10. I'm going to go through this quickly. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Notice there's a difference between helping others with their burdens and bearing your own load that you're responsible for. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in the due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore... Let us, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I know that's a massive context. And I know that there's so much in these passages. You can probably take one verse and preach a whole sermon. But I feel that God is speaking to us today, especially about this one aspect. And we're going to try to get to that with the few minutes I have left. Paul is addressing the churches in what used to be called Gaul. Now, if you, anyone used to read Asterix and Obelix, <laughs> they, it's, it's those people, the Gaelish people, Gaelic, yeah. It's okay. He's talking, yeah, it's ancient France, you're right. He is talking to them. The letter of, to the Galatian churches is mainly because they, were start, they started out well. They heard the gospel. They received the gospel. They were walking in the Spirit. And at some point, they started to li uh, listen to a doctrine that said, if you're a Gentile, in other words, not a Jew, and you come to Christ, you have to get circumcised. All right? And this was spreading. So they were saying that you need to actually still be under the law. And Paul's trying to convince them it's not about that. It's about faith. Gra by grace, through faith, we are saved, not by works. All right. Now, in this part... Paul contrasts flesh and spirit and explains how they are at war with each other. Can anyone conf you know, just say, yes, uh, my, I have felt my flesh and my spirit at war. It, it, it's daily. And, and sometimes it's worse than other days. He, uh, he encourages them and by extension, us as the church today, that if we confess to live by the spirit, that we should also be walking by the spirit. In other words, we need to let our talk be our walk. And then he goes on to contrast the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh versus fruit of the Spirit. They are at war. The one who wins the war, that is what you will see. As you can hear, this is something he has spoken about to them before. He says, I've already told you this, but I'm going to tell it to you again. And he focuses on the sexual sins that I told you about. Emotions running rampant, drunken parties and those kinds of behavior. 
Then he says something very important. He says, those who practice these things. When do you practice something? It's when you're trying to get better at it. So your heart is full of rebellion against God. You know this is not right. This is sin. But I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. I'm going to be real good at doing bad. It's about knowing that this is sin. But practicing it in your life. Saying that this is who I am. This is my truth. I'm a Christian, but, you know, this one thing is fine. I'm just going to scratch that out of my Bible. And by a massive contrast, he lists the fruits of the Spirit and explains that none of these are against the law of God. The whole thing has been about law and grace. And he's saying that this is what happens when you are, by grace, through faith, a child of God. You flow in the Spirit. And on top of that, Nothing of these things is against the law of God. So this is a great place to be. He says that if you truly believe, sorry, if you truly have died in Christ, your flesh is dead and your life should reflect that you now walk in the Spirit. Then he immediately goes on to say something about how we should treat one another. It is the same thought. I've just contrasted the work of the flesh with the, word, with the fruit of the Spirit. And now he goes on to speak to the believers about how they treat each other. Think about it. If I commit adultery, if I do fornication, if I'm full of anger, wrath, towards whom will I do those things? The people in my, in my community, in the household of faith. I will do these things. I will have envy. I will have strife. I will have dissensions against the household of faith. And if I practice these things, I'm walking in the flesh. And it's things like, did you hear what Heinz said? It starts with that. Can you believe they treated me this way when I got to the door? The water was finished. No one gave me a bottle of water. It's from that to the worst kind of things that can happen. And that's where it starts. And Paul is going, guys, you are trying to finish in the flesh what started in the spirit. He's warning them. So he says, firstly, he says, let us not become conceited, which means excessively proud. Do not get proud. Do not provoke. This is all about how we always secure in ourselves as believers so that those around us don't make us feel insecure so that we don't react out of the flesh. Amen? And then he keeps on giving instructions on how people should handle specific difficult situations. He says, when a fellow believer is in sin, it says when he walks in the flesh, when he's overtaken by sin. So we look at a brother, we look at a sister, we, we see, whoa, this, this thing has taken hold of their lives. This work of the flesh, one of those things in the list. It's taken hold of us. What does he say? He says, you who are spiritual. What does he mean? You who are walking by the Spirit. Once I'm practicing the flesh, I can't see in the Spirit. And we need to help our brother and sister to see in the Spirit again. Can you see that? We need to correct that brother or sister. And we need to do it with gentleness, which is a fruit of the Spirit. 
And at the same time, we must make sure we don't fall for the same thing. I remember when I was in youth in high school, they, they put one guy on a table or on a stage and the other guy down there. And the guy on the table would represent the Christian, the believer, the one who is spiritual, trying to help up the one who is down, who is in sin. Who's going to win? The one who's on the floor because you're standing alone on the table. So they're trying to show us it's easier for you to fall into the same temptation that that guy is falling for. And that, this is, okay. So the best example of this is a girl dating a guy who doesn't believe in Jesus. She loves Jesus. The guy doesn't believe in Jesus. She's like, I will save him. He will believe in Jesus before we get married. Sister, run. That is foolishness. And it will never work. It will never work. God's plan is for a godly man to chase a godly woman and tell her, listen, you're my wife. And she will have known by then in her heart, yes, this is my husband. If you try to save someone by marrying them, there's no verse for that. There's a verse that deals with when you've already made that mistake, but there's not a verse that, that tells you to do that. So be careful. The other way this happens is thinking, I'm going to go to the pub and I'm going to sit next to that guy drinking too much and I'm going to help him back to church. And an hour later, you two beers down. Yeah, I'm leading this guy to Jesus. Look at us. This is what he's talking about. You need to get that person on neutral ground. Connect group. A coffee, one-on-one, -on -one, whatever it might be. Okay. Then it says, bear in one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which means to help each other. It says, then he says, make sure you're doing what you've been called to do and that you're doing it well. So there's bearing burdens with one another and then there's the work that you've been given, the load that you've been given to carry. You need to do it well. He's saying that, there's is, is a contrast between helping our brothers and sisters in Christ to bear burdens, but we need to take responsibility for the work that we've been given to do. And that is from your vocation, your calling, and it's also your, your, your role in this local church. I don't have time to go into Ephesians 4 again, where it says that each joint supplies something to this body of Christ. And we have a job to do, and we need to be faithful in that. Then he says, share all good things with the person who teaches the word of God to you. Now, this is an awkward thing for me to teach because I'm teaching you the word of God. But this is scriptural and it's part of what he is saying. He says, whatever you, and then he goes on to say, whatever you sow, you shall reap. I'm just going to leave that there. Let God speak to you. God will not be mocked. He will not be fooled. We need to understand the principle of sowing and reaping in the local church. It is what is very important in this place. And then he says, stay the course. Keep living the spiritual life. Do not fall back in the old fleshly ways. And in due time, you will reap the harvest, which is a promise. And then he ends off by saying, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to the household of faith. We should all now have a clear understanding of the biblical definition of doing good. It's easy to think, oh, good is this, good is that. But God has clearly shown us what is it to be good to one another. It's by walking in the Spirit, in the fruit of the Spirit towards one another. It's by loving well 
the way that God loved us. We need to be especially good to those in the household of faith. Why? Because that's our home base of operations for the furthering of the kingdom of God. Can you see that if we are good to each other, if we treat each other well, our home base will be strong. It will stand. If any attacks come from the outside, we can stand. If we need to take ground, if we need to reach more people with the gospel, we are strong to do that. And when people come in from the outside, there is a strong fellowship of believers to say, hey, join us. I will disciple you. I will walk with you. Come to my connect group. Listen, what do you need? Do you guys have enough groceries for this week? Is there, do you have power in your house? How can we help you? That is what needs to happen. But we can only do that if we are one in the Spirit. Amen? Do you believe that? We need to operate at full capacity in line with the orders of our commander-in-chief, who is God himself and the leader of the host of heaven's armies. Each God-fearing, Jesus-following, life-giving local church is like an outpost for the kingdom of God. And we need to be strong and healthy from within to be effective when we go out on the offensive to take ground for the kingdom. And we also need to be strong in our defense so that we are not overtaken. We, when we love each other well with agape, unconditional love of the Father, we will not be offended by anyone. Agape love cannot take offense. Because offense happens when you have an expectation that someone will say everything that I want to hear. And when your flesh is not completely dead, that's when you take offense. We will not be offended by anyone. We will make sure everyone has enough to eat, a place to stay, clothes to wear. And we will make sure that everyone in our midst is looked after spiritually and is constantly growing. That is what our church should be. I want to ask if you notice that in John 17, when John is saying to the Father in his prayer that when his disciples are in the unity, the same way Jesus and the Father are in unity, that the world will know that Jesus was sent. He says, let them be one as you and I are one, that the world may know that you sent me. And then he says it again. I didn't quote that verse. Right after that, he says it again in a different way. Our greatest tool of evangelism as a local church is to have unity here. If we are one and we are loving and we care for each other and a stranger walks past or see us do life together and they see we are united, they will go, wow. Okay, this Jesus must be real. He must have come. He must have done something because this is not natural. This is supernatural. The unity of the body of Christ is a powerful thing. And as we are talking about how do we help others to encounter God, it's one of the big things we have to talk about. Next week, Harvey is going to talk about how can we be more effective in the workplace by loving on people, by bringing them into the kingdom. And then Israel is going to come and talk to us about evangelism, having a heart for the lost. Throughout this series, I'm trusting God that there will be a fire ignited in our hearts. But it has to start from this household of faith. All right? Because we are as strong as we all are united. 
You know how they say a chain is only as strong as its weakest link? If one is leavening, is bringing the leaven that's negative in our midst, then that will weaken the whole effort that is happening with this ministry. So I want to ask you, stay close to Jesus. Love your wife well. Love your husband well. Love your children well. And love those in your church well by living out the fruit of the Spirit, by walking in the Spirit, if you say, I am of the Spirit. And let, let's not give in to the works of the flesh. Let's not get to that point where we practice them. If you, if you do sin, don't make a practice out of it. If you do sin, repent. This doesn't say if you do it, you go to hell. It says if you practice it. But how I many of you know that once you give your life to Christ, you're walking in the Spirit, today you fall. It's like, you don't go back to square one. You say, Lord, I repent. I never want to do that again. It's not who I am in you. I will get back and walk in the Spirit. That is the heart that God is looking for, a broken and contrite heart like David in Psalm 51 where he says, Lord, I know I've sinned against you. Forgive me. And God forgives because that's what he wants. He wants a church that is humble enough to say, Lord, we want to do it your way. And if you mess up, say sorry, move on. And help each other to not fall completely off the wagon. Amen? I feel like this was a hard word somehow. It wasn't supposed to be a hard word. It was supposed to be an encouraging word. But there's probably a few things happening in the Spirit as well. And as, as we push and move towards having this kind of unity, I'm sure the enemy doesn't want this to happen. So I'm, but I'm, I'm sensing a bit of a, a fight in the Spirit. So I just want to pray into that, and then I want us to reflect and respond to what God is doing here today. Amen? All right. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time in your presence. I thank you for your word, that it's powerful. Your word says that it's like a two-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow. And Lord, sometimes it hurts. It's uncomfortable. It challenges our flesh. And Lord, I, I, I just want to come against every um, power and assignment of the enemy, any dark forces that are trying to manipulate, take our minds off of what's true. And I just want to just want to come against the, the, the same idea that Paul is coming against, that we finish in the flesh what we started in the Spirit. No, we will finish in the Spirit what started in the Spirit in the name of Jesus. Lord, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you work in every, every one of us right now. Lord, we surrender our spirit beings to you. And we say we want to do things your way. We want to walk in the Spirit. And we don't want to practice the work of the flesh. We want to flourish in the fruit of the Spirit. And that we want to see that manifest in how we treat each other, how we love each other in this community. Lord, we put you first. And therefore, we love you. And by extension, we love each other with the same love that you loved us with. And Lord, now as a, corporately, as a church, as a spiritual family, we make a decision, each one in our hearts, to say we will walk by the Spirit. We will, we will be, our lives will be evident of the fruit of the Spirit as we love one another, as we help one another. Help us to live in that place. Help us to live from that place. So that we can be more effective in reaching the world for you. 
Help us to stand in unity on you and your word. Help us to love from your love in our lives. We pray for the supernatural ability to do that. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. And have a great time in your quiet time with Jesus this week. Make sure you worship Him. Make sure you stay close to Him. Go to Connect, and we'll see each other. Well, I won't see you next week, but come to church. It's going to be great with Javi and Rochelle. The week after that, I'll be back. Um, Thank you so much. Thanks again, Francis, for your amazing testimony. And uh, thank you for being here. God bless you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.